What is family history? Anna Davin teaches oral history at Middlesex University. She's also written about the experience of childhood in the past. Finding out about childhood is an important part of family history, and can be quite a challenge. For starters, most of the written material that we have is written by adults, not by children. To go on with, child experiences depended enormously on the context in which they were lived, and some contexts are far better documented than others for obvious reasons of who was literate, who felt their lives were worth writing about, who had access to pen and paper and time to write, and also what gets preserved. So there's an enormous bias in the sources for childhood. There's a class bias in terms of what was ever written in the first place. There's a survival bias, which is also class, really. And there's the thing that children didn't write for themselves, they were written about. And they were written about, often sentimentally, sometimes as problems, always by others, always by adults, often men. There are all these different filters that you have to be aware of as you read the material, that it's adults writing, that they're adults of another class, that they're often male rather than female. So if you have a specific interest in children, the first thing you realise is it's very difficult (laughs) to find out about them. Miranda Carter has written a biography of the art historian and spy Anthony Blunt someone who had a vested interest in disguising his past. What techniques did she use to get around a lack of personal documentary evidence? I think the main thing was doing a lot of interviews with people because obviously that way you get more personal perceptions of what a person is like. What I would do is I would take my tape recorder along and I taped everything and then I transcribed all my interviews, which is incredibly labour-intensive and uh, very tiring but very useful. The other thing, of course, about doing lots of interviews is you tend to get quite a sort of disparate range of different people's ideas and impressions of somebody. Initially, I found that very sort of confusing because some people absolutely hated Blunt and other people found him incredibly kind and helpful and friendly. But in a way, it's also quite a good reminder of the fact that everybody has many different facets and appears in many different ways to people. So it is quite a good way of building up it has to be said from the outside in, an impression of a personality. The other way I suppose I got round it was I put together all the little bits I had, you know, the crumbs, and over a period of time you do start to build up a picture of what somebody is like. And as I say, almost the reticence of the letters reveals something about the person. However we approach history, it has to pass through various filters. Documentary material, for example, is rarely as objective as it seems. Anna Davin. There was an inquiry into the employment of children out of school at the beginning of the century. So again, it's information, but it's information gathered with a specific aim in mind. So for instance, when they're trying to look at children's employment outside school, it's employment they're looking at, not work. A lot of children worked hard after school. For instance, if their mother did mangling to earn money, squeezing the water out of clothes which somebody else might have washed. Children would take their turns at the mangle, which was heavy work, or outwork, making artificial flowers or matchboxes or whatever. Children would be on the domestic production line round the table the moment they got home from school and working for hours. But that didn't count as employment in the terms of the investigation. And so what they have is a picture of children working for money for themselves rather than children working for money that's earned by the mother 
and they're just her workforce. So again, it's the usual issue. You think about how are the questions being asked, the purposes of the inquiry, the ways in which its terms are understood, like work and employment and childhood and child and girl and boy and all of those terms. You have to think about them a bit as you read. And probably, if you're open like that, then through the way that people are using those words, you'll also be understanding their larger assumptions, their outlook on life, on society, on its categories. And so all the time you are interpreting as you collect material, you are assessing it, whatever kind of material, whatever kind of source you're looking at. I think you have to be very careful to try to be aware that you've got expectations and that we today have expectations. For instance, of childhood, there's a wonderful interview that the mid-19th century journalist Henry Mayhew, who recorded with an eight-year-old watercress girl. And you can see in that interview the gap between his understanding of childhood and hers, and equally between today's understanding, which is much closer to his, and hers. She says, I'm not a child, I'm eight, I am. But I shan't be a woman till I'm, I forget, I think it's 20. And she also talks about a friend of hers who must be 14 because she has her hair up. These are street children earning their own living. By today's standards, absolutely children. But she already feels that she has adult responsibilities and she's proud of them. So I think it is very important not to come in with today's assumptions about childhood as a period of dependence where children are to be protected. If you're to try to get a sense of those children's own sense of themselves, and as, as I've said, I, you can't entirely, but sometimes there are glimpses, and if you're too much into the mindset that says their lives were terrible, they were old before their time, they were poor little adults deprived of childhood, which was the attitude of many middle-class people commenting at that time, you're not going to get inside their heads. So I think it's very, very important to try to be as open as you can. You're trying to observe and find out and analyse. You've really got to try hard not to impose your own assumptions. Mm. Are you always trying to eliminate your own subjective filter, as it were, as much as possible? I don't think I try to eliminate it, but I do try to be aware of it. I don't actually think you can eliminate bias and be absolutely neutral. Even interviewing, sometimes it comes out. Although when you're tape recording someone, you try not to intrude your views. Miranda Carter. I think one of the great underestimated factors in writing history and biography is that you do put parts of yourself in and that you have to make imaginative leaps because you never have all the information. Of course you don't. And so you always have to make connections where there isn't quite enough evidence. And that is why there are more than one biography of Virginia Woolf or, you know, Nelson or whoever, because everybody does bring their own interpretation. And also, I think, actually, my book was almost the better for the times when I allowed myself to kind of use my instincts and also the impressions that I'd built up through researching and researching and researching and and making connections. Did cross-referencing play a role in getting some facts straight? Oh, yes, absolutely. You're using that all the time. As you build up information, you're bringing something you know here to something you know there. And really, that's intrinsic, I think, to the act of research, especially when you're putting together a picture of a life that seems initially as disparate. I think you're always moving between the particular and the general, because every life that you're 
finding out about, every individual that you're finding out about, whatever way, has their own specificity. But certainly their lives and their childhoods are playing out in much larger contexts. Quite obviously the introduction of compulsory school in the 1870s is one example as far as childhood goes, where suddenly a national development, a national political move, has a major effect on both children and their families. The attempts to curtail childhood employment are another example of that. In the course of the 20th century, issues like changes in the size of family, the increasing successful use of birth control, and also women's desire to have fewer children, that means that childhood plays out very differently. From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.